Hello, and welcome to Living It Radio. I'm Kelly DiNardo, here with Amy Pierce Hayden. We are the authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. Through our book and this podcast, we aim to make the principles of yoga alive, active, accessible, and personal. On this podcast, we go deeper into the topics we address in the book by talking to compelling people who can help us live an inspired, connected, joyful life. Today, we are joined by internationally renowned guitarist and yogi, Bibi McGill. After touring with Pink, Paulina Rubio, and Beyonce, Bibi decided to call it quits and focus on yoga, meditation, and plant medicine. In this interview, we talk to Bibi about our different roles and how yoga and meditation keeps us connected to who we are as a person beyond just those labels. We could hear you, and now you have to settle a bet. What What were you making? Were you making a smoothie or juice? Oh my God! You could hear me making a juice. <laughs> I said it's. I'm, I got five dollars on a smoothie. Oh my God! No, I was making my uh, my celery juice, my celery and lime juice. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> All right, Amy, you owe me coffee. I owe you coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell us about this celery and lime juice. What do you make? Um, Well, I drink it every every first thing in the morning. You can probably Google and read up on the benefits of it. But I just, I like green juice in the morning. I do like smoothies, but I wait for those later. Um, It's just two key limes and... Um, pretty much about a half to three quarters of a, a bunch of celery juiced. Um, I usually need to add a little bit more to it for flavor. So I add about five to six cloves of garlic, a little bit of cilantro, some cumin, turmeric, shake it up. And it's just, it's a really great way to start your metabolism, your digestion, um, you know, alkaline your body with the lime. It's just super good. And I don't like to eat big breakfasts, so I get some flavor in the morning, some nutrition, uh, just to get me going. So what does your typical morning look like? Um, waking up, meditating, drinking water, drinking my, my celery juice or whatever the liquid is or the ceremonial item is of the time. It could be tea, it could be cacao, it could be matcha is waking up and starting my day in a peaceful way as as peaceful as I can and really spending some time with myself before I start getting involved in my responsibilities or seeing people or talking to people. I love hearing about people's morning rituals. Anyway, let's just jump right in. Tell us about the first musical instrument you played. Um, my older brother and sister uh, played classical piano. So me being the baby, there was always someone twice, uh, twice a week coming to teach them classical piano. So I would get on the piano and copy what I heard them doing. But I was never interested in the piano. I always wanted to play guitar. I just had to wait until I was 12 um, to do that. So a piano, but then literally, um, no, it wasn't a guitar. It was a violin. I couldn't play violin. I couldn't play guitar in school, so the closest thing to it was a violin. So I picked the violin until the next year I went to junior high school and I could learn guitar. So I would say a piano, a violin, and a guitar. And a guitar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> strings, strings. 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 You were drew- drawn to them. Yes. I was drawn to 
the guitar in the music that my older brother and sister listened to, which were was the music of like Al Demiola, Santana, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm. I would hear the guitar, and I that was what I wanted to do. So tell us a little bit about how you go from piano and violin, just sort of because you had to, <laughs> to <laughs> to guitar to. Beyonce's lead guitarist because you've described it as a struggle and I I'm curious to hear more more about that okay let's see how I can get this all in okay uh, uh, a quick history yeah so after having to play the the violin before I could really get to the guitar I realized very quickly that I was good at the guitar I was taking it in um junior high in a class and I was I was way ahead of the class and, and I was having mm. to slow down. And so I asked my parents to put me in, you know, they put me in private lessons and then I started playing in my own punk band in the basement of my, our home. I was in the, the jazz band. I was in the concert band. I was in the citywide marching band. After I started playing guitar, I started playing drums, uh, which is what I played in the citywide marching band. And then I started playing bass. So I just started playing different instruments and, and I was good at them. Um, Fast forward high school, or I should say, yeah, high school. I was 16, and I learned that when you turn 17, you can get your GED. Uh, but I didn't want to just get my GED and drop out of school. I wanted to get my GED and get the hell out of high school so I could go to college and study music. So I, I did my research. I had all my information, all my details, all my facts, and I went to my parents and I said, hey... I'm going to be 17 in November and I can get my GED and I want to go to college. And so my parents agreed. My parents and my dad mostly did everything to get my paperwork done. I got my GED. Um, basically we had, I turned 17 in November. December was our Christmas break, uh, in which I took my GED test. I passed my dad had it set up to where administrations was just waiting for my SAT and G GED scores to get me right into college. So I was in college in January. Wow. wow. Right? I studied at the University of Colorado for four and a half years. Music scoring and arranging. Got my Bachelor of Science and immediately started a Christian heavy metal band. Very passionate about that Christian heavy metal band for about three years. Um, and then I ended up deciding that I wanted to go to California because the music scene in Denver, there wasn't one. Um, and all my band members were lazy. <laughs> so I, you know, my parents, you know, drove me out to California in my 67 Mustang and my, my Dodge van carrying all my gear. Cause I had to have a cool car and then one for my gear. <laughs> right. I get to LA um, I get a really good job immediately working for a mortgage company, was promoted several times, worked for them for three and a half years. That was way too much. You know, was playing in bands here and there, but not really having the time. So I'm working 50 hours a week. Started working for a record label. They worked me to death. And after three and a half years, I was just like, I can't do this. I can't, I'm not following my dreams and people are overworking me and I'm tired and I called in sick until I couldn't call in sick anymore. And that forced me to, by not being in, in, in a job in an office 
for 10 hours a day forced me to be playing my guitar. Mm-hmm. So I was playing my guitar for a band, making $45 to drive an hour and a half to Huntington Beach and back, uh, playing four hours a night. It wasn't a lot of money. Mm. I know all about that. Right? <laughs> right? But from that, people saw me. And people were like, I have a job for you. I'm a manager. We have a band. And so I started being seen and playing in other musical um, opportunities that were allowing me to be seen and allowing me to make a name for myself. Uh, many, many years of doing that and pounding the pavement. Um, I never went back to a job, by the way, ever since 1986 at the record label. Um, I was playing music and I just had an opportunity that came out of the blue uh, to play with Pink. Mm. Um, I didn't, I just really got a call one day that said, Hey, so we're going to uproot your schedule. You're going to go to New York. You're going to be on MTV, uh, TRL live. Then you're going to do Saturday night live. And then you're going to do Dick Clark's rock and New Year's Eve. And then you're going to do Jay Leno. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I know I never met pink. I never auditioned for pink. I didn't know what he was talking about. And I hung up the phone frustrated. And I'm like, this is just going to be another dead end. I just keep getting so close and then it never works out. And I was frustrated. Sure enough, I was on a plane in about four days. I went to New York, got off the plane at about 11 o'clock at night, met Pink, went into rehearsal, and all those things happened. And did you have something within you at that same time that you shifted that you think energetically opened that up? Or could you, um, not, name, can you yes, not name it? Yes, I can name it. What I stopped doing was playing with people for, for little money or free or or them telling me, we're going to pay you this. And I'm like, great, because I need to pay my rent. But then I'd have to chase my money. So I was playing with all kinds of bands. And they all had, well, we're, we're, we're having meetings with record labels. And everything was always so close, but not enough. And I just said at a certain point, I'm not doing this anymore. I quit all those groups. And I, I was like, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make a living as a hired gun. I'm gonna mm-hmm. make a living as a hired gun. I'm not gonna play for free or for the hope of a record label or for cheap anymore. And it was not long after that. I would say maybe three months that I had Courtney Love. I was waiting on Courtney Love. I'd had four auditions with her. I was waiting for Mick Jagger to come back to the United States because his manager had called me and said he was looking for uh, a female guitar player. And I, I came up, so I was waiting for him to come back so I could talk to him. And then I get this call from this agent who never talks to me, ever. He, he, he favored men. And, and here I am on a plane. And from, from pink, everything exploded. Everybody knew me instantly from MTV TRL Live, which was my first gig with her. Then from that, I toured for... A year and a half with Paulina Rubio, who's like the Mexican Madonna. After a year and a half with her, I toured for three years with a band called La Ley from Chile, who is huge in the Latin music. They were like the U2 of modern rock, but they were all guys from Chile. Huge. Toured with them for three uh, years, and at the at the end of that time is when... Um, I had, uh, let me back up. I had started doing yoga in 1996 when I quit my job with the record label. Um, so I was doing yoga throughout this whole time with Pink, with Paulina Rubio, with La Ley. I had a practice, like, and I was committed to my practice while I was touring. 
That's impressive. Okay. Since 1996. Start, started playing with Pink in 2001. And then those other artists afterwards. And at the end of my time with La Lay, I had decided in 2004, I wasn't learning enough about yoga in yoga studios. I wanted to know more. So I thought by taking a teacher's training, they would teach me history, Ayurveda, diet and nutrition, Sanskrit, um, philosophy and anatomy, Kriyas. I could learn all these things. So I did my teacher's training remote me for, re remote, remotely through the internet and through books and through reading assignments and essays, uh, which were very difficult and by documenting, keeping a diary of when I practiced, when I woke up, when I ate my meals, when I did my meditation, which nostril was open in the morning when I woke up, all these things I documented while on tour, while practicing yoga six days a week, okay? And then at the end of my my remote um, yoga training, I had to go to Thailand for a month for the intensive part of my training with my teacher. Um, and then I got my, 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 I was certified in classical eight limb yoga. Um, my teacher was an Ashtanga teacher from Ireland who had been certified by Sri Patobi Choice, Sri Patobi Choice for already 15 years at that time. So, mm. um, after, after that, I played with Lale a little bit longer and then I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, I've been, I've been doing this at a high level since 2001. It was now 2005. I had been certified to teach. I was dying to teach and scared to death at the same time. But I left La Lay and I decided I'm going to teach. I uh, started teaching in uh, 2005 and was so blessed to be teaching at two of the, the, the most established and popular yoga studios at the time in L.A., uh, which is incredible. I'm a new teacher and I was just, okay, come in. Here's the keys. Here's what you do. Um, you're on the schedule. We have a bookstore. We have, uh, you know, so I was teaching at Stephen Earth's Power Yoga in West Hollywood and the Yoga House in Pasadena, both very established. Um, and I did that for about eight months until my bank account started to go down to zero because you know you're touring music all over the world you're teaching yoga difference in pay so <laughs> I, I you know i i didn't care my bank account was empty i'd maxed out my credit cards i'm still going to be teaching yoga i got one day i got an email or a text or something saying hey beyonce's looking to form an all-female band you should go no i'm teaching yoga that whole day, everybody's calling me, texting me, writing me, uh, uh, telling me about this audition. I'm like, no, I'm, I don't, I'm not interested. I'm teaching yoga now. I went home that night. It's about 11 o'clock and getting ready for bed. My phone rings. It's my dad in Denver, Colorado. I'm in LA. My dad's a barber. He's older. And he says, uh, hi, somebody called looking for you. Uh, uh, be, uh, be, uh, be, I'm like, I know it's Beyonce. I don't, I'm not, I don't want. I don't want to play with Beyonce. I'm teaching yoga now. I'm frustrated at this point, and my dad's like, "Oh, okay, okay." And we talked a little bit. And I hung up the phone, and I felt bad. <clears throat> Excuse me. I felt bad because that's my dad. He's just calling me to help me and tell me some information. I decided I'm going to go to the audition. 
just so I can call my dad and say, hey, I, I went. I, I went to the audition. I went to the audition. <laughs> I go to the audition. I, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. There's a line of women around the block. I pick up my guitar and start walking toward this line. And I knew I was supposed to be there. I knew it. I knew I was supposed to be there. I knew it. I did my audition. It went great. I three days later, I'm waking up at about three in the morning, saying, "Can you come to New York and for the for the next round of auditions?" So, long story short, I go there. I get the gig with Beyonce, and uh, I, I I auditioned for guitar. I got the role as guitar player, but then they needed a musical director. They wanted everybody's experience and what they had done, and I sent that in. And I was chosen to also be the musical director, okay? Because I ha this is what they told. When they made the announcement, they brought all the girls into the room and said, we've chosen BB to be the musical director because she has the most experience. She's the oldest. And when we think of BB, we think of peace. And I'm like, I'm like, what does peace have to do with anything? I didn't understand that at all until about a month into it. I was like, oh... In order to do this job, you better be peaceful. You better know not to engage with drama and to just do your job, mind your business, remain peaceful, walk away from people that are trying to drag you into gossip or tell you you don't know what you're doing or they're jealous. You have to be peaceful. And after that first year with Beyonce, I went home finally and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do that again. There were so many times I cried. I was by myself. I was alone and I wanted to quit. But it kept saying to me, something kept saying to me, you're not done yet. You still have work to do here. And I was like, okay, well, I can't quit because there's still something I need to do. But I don't know what it is. But I'm going to stay here. So I was in that situation for almost 10 years. Wow. Until finally I knew that I'd done what I needed to do. And there was no question... I'm done. I'm done. Mm -hmm. I did what I'm supposed to do. And that was sh to share health and wellness with them, which uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that near the end, we were on a break from tour and I got a call saying, Hey, we're going back on tour. Are you available? And I really was kind of dreading it because it's hard work. But I said, mm -hmm. yes. I'm like, yes, I'm available. Because that was my work. That was my job. I had been on a break. I needed to make some more money. Uh, I said yes. The next question was, oh, by the way, we noticed that when everybody else is stressed out, you're peaceful. And we think that has something to do with your, your yoga and your lifestyle. And we were wondering if you would share that with us. I went from dreading it to just jumping, you know, for joy. Because I was like, of course I'll share it with you. I, I was just living for 10 years, almost uh, nine years. I'm just living my lifestyle on road. I'm not trying to force anything on anybody. Mm -hmm. If they want to go to yoga with me, I offered it. If they wanted to practice yoga with me in the gym in the mornings at the hotel, they were welcome to, but that rarely happened. But finally, finally, they're actually asking me to share. So that whole next tour, the Mrs. Carter tour with Beyonce, which lasted about a year, and then immediately following that was the very first Jay-Z and Beyonce on the run tour that I played for both Jay-Z and Beyonce. All that time, I was sharing wellness with them. We were doing fast and cleanses on the road. Uh, I was able to be in charge of our food writers so that 
in the main area of every venue across the world that we played on, there was a writer that said, we have to have a juice station and a smoothie station, and these are everything that, this is everything we need to be in that station. But not only for the main area, the band also had our own personal juice and smoothie station. I got to um, share essential oils with them, yoga, angel cards, um, saging and sweetgrass before the show. All of a sudden, everybody's standing in line for me to sage them. And sweet, it, it was incredible. That's Callie amazing. and I have been thinking about each of our, our episodes. We're talking about kind of a, a specific area and the, this idea of identity, you know, for you, from, from us, from an outside perspective, is that there's, there's such a breadth between um, these two sides of you. But finally, it seems like these two have come together and that there's a, a, a holistic BB, you know, a total BB that gets to show up in both, in, in oh, both sides of it finally. Yes. Right? And that that authentic part of you is no longer ha has to be uh, disintegrated separate, like some sort of disintegration, that there's a total integration of these two places that you've been coming from up until this point. That's exactly it. And I knew I was done. At the end of the last tour, I walked down a dark hall back to the tour bus to go back to the hotel to fly home in the morning. And on that walk, I'm like, I'm done. I did what I'm supposed to do. And it was amazing. I went from not being liked that much to everybody's listening to me. Everybody's wanting my advice. And that's how I ended my last tours with Beyonce. And I wanted to end on a good note. And I did. From that, I decided, okay, well, I wanted, I want to go into this wellness thing full time. I want to be able to choose the environments of the people I'm with. I want to choose environments where I'm also mutually nourished. Not that I'm nourishing and giving to everybody else and nobody really knows what I'm talking about, but they're listening. No, I want to be able to be with people where we can share advice and we can share uh, different regimens to to uh, better our health and our well-being. And I chose, um, I, I chose to focus on yoga, but that also brought in yoga and music because people who do yoga, they want to have good music too. So I can be a DJ and not be in a band. It can just mm -hmm. be me. I show up. I do ecstatic dance, intentional dance, dancing our prayers, conscious dance, which has a meaning. I'm not just a DJ being in a club. We're going to get something out of this. So I'm DJing. I'm doing yoga. People always wanted to hear my story, and I don't like public speaking. I'm scared of it. But people were always so affected by me telling my story that became a part of my platform and then there's this tea ceremony which I also realized in hindsight I had been on a path of since 1996 when I started doing yoga didn't even realize it didn't even realize it I had been in training to do tea ceremony which is plant medicine which is this this super intentional space that I'm holding for people to have a journey in tea. And those are my four platforms. Now we're gonna take a quick break from our chat with Bibi to tell you about this week's giveaway, which comes from Yoga Journal's Live Be Yoga Tour. For this six month road trip, Yoga Journal sends ambassadors around the country to capture what's happening in yoga communities of all sizes. This week, one listener will get a hugger mugger para rubber yoga mat and an Aim Health You Yoga Journal course. To enter, rate and review this podcast, take a screenshot, 
share it on Instagram, and tag us at Kelly Donardo, at Amy Pierce Hayden, and at Live B Yoga. And now, back to our conversation with Bibi. Are you playing the guitar at all anymore, or have you hung it up? Um, no, I, I do, but I, I choose situations. I've, I've played with, over the last three years, a lot of different Kirtan artists. In fact, that's why I'm going to Thailand, is I've been leading Kirtan. This is the third year in a row. So I play guitar, um, I play different instruments. I've played with Chantala. I toured with them for almost three years. Up until now, I've just gotten too busy to perform with them. I've played with Gurunam Singh, Jack Jaydish, Simrit Kaur, um, a lot of a lot of the very, very well known Kirtan artists. You you once said in an interview that different spiritual philosophies or religions in all of them that music is a part of that and giving thanks to the divine. So it doesn't matter if you're in a church or a yoga studio, which I loved that music and spirituality go hand in hand. Absolutely. So so how is music part of part of your spiritual practice now? Well, uh, I think it has always been, uh, whether I knew it or not, but I did know at a very young age, it's it's vibration, which means it's medicine. So my field is vibrational medicine, whether it's yoga, whether it's public speaking and inspiration, whether it's music, whether it's movement, it's all energetic. And um, since I can remember, I just, I, I, I never wanted to play music to be famous. I just loved it. And I knew that I could transmute or trans transfer my energy from the tips of my fingertips off the fretboard and the strings of my guitar or my drum or my flute. Um, and that was just my intention always to, well, I just... I just want to play music and I want to get out of the way and I want to be an empty vessel for whatever healing needs to occur, whatever people need to receive. I want them to receive that through me. It's not of any work of mine. And I also am doing this to actually connect with all things above and all things below. That, that's, that was my intention at a very, very early in my music playing. But then when I started playing on stage, that was definitely my intention because I realized people were really being touched by what I was doing, which was n not trying to be seen. Um, and it was not trying to be the best guitar player. But I was always getting told after concerts, wow. Uh, you really touched me. Like I came here and I, I'm a, I ride a motorcycle and I'm not really into this type of music, but I got a free ticket and I came and I was not in a good place and I saw you play and, and it changed me. Um, or people saying, uh, I had a new neural surgeon in Chile come up to me and say, you have a lot of energy. And, and he started talking about yoga. And he was asking me, he was saying that I was transmitting this energy that I needed to heal myself through my music. And just giving me, you know, different tests that he'd done and they had done uh, about how they were using yoga to help young people. Uh, and it was all energetic. Just, I just kept hearing stories like this and it just confirmed that, yeah, this is, this is, this is a, 
This is a spiritual practice. I wanted to ask you, since we did want to talk to you about identity, about the role of image and music and kind of also where it is now in yoga. Um, you know, when we when we talk about male rock stars, we tend to talk about their accomplishments, whereas female rock stars, we certainly talk about their accomplishments, but we also talk about how they look often. And I feel like that's coming up a lot more in yoga now, especially with social media, um, mm. that there's a lot of comp- conversation about the visual, visual representation of yoga. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if you ever feel pressure to conform to a certain look or how image plays into your identity and also how that's changed too, because I imagine mm. that it that it would have. Um, has it changed for me? No, <laughs> I I have I have no interest at all. I will tell you, I've thought about it a few times, but I have no interest at all in trying to live up to that cult of personality, that stereotypical yoga teacher who really wants very badly to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. I'm not saying all yoga teachers like that. There's some amazing yoga teachers out there that are very grounded, very knowledgeable, very wise. But for the most part, the way yoga is being presented in the West over here in the U.S. now is... I hate to say it because they're one of my sponsors and I love Lululemon and I'll tell you why. But that Lululemon, that 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 fit body, usually stereotypical, model-esque looking, um, very beautiful, you know, blonde, blue-eyed girl. There's there's not a lot of people of color. In fact, there's really no people of color being represented unless they're a token. They're used as a token. And that's just that's ridiculous to me. I, I, you know, when I started doing yoga, I wore sweats to class. Mm. I wore sweats to class. I, you know, I didn't care. Um, and then that turned into more doti type of pants mm-hmm. because they were lighter. And, you know, everybody's trying to get me to wear their line of yoga clothes. And it's like, uh, no, I'm not comfortable in that. Eventually, I was practicing and teaching so much that it was just easier to wear yoga leggings and pack them in my suitcase and easier to keep them clean as opposed to sweats or dotis. So I eventually had to break down and start wearing yoga clothes. Um, <laughs> we talk about in our in Living the Sutras um, this idea that, you know, we call ourselves things like you do. You know, you're kale kale chip maker, juicy juice smoothie maker, um, <laughs> sister, right? Yogi. Would you say that there's something that's really attached to your core identity that no matter what you're doing is like that's the that's in there that can't be uprooted from you? It is really that deeply part of who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. One thing I I know that is important to me is being. And these are all a part of the same definition. Being truth, truth, truth is important to me. Authenticity, sincerity, being just real, Mm. being real, just Mm -hmm. however, I don't have to speak a certain way when I'm teaching, you know, and I had thought about that. I'm like, well, these, these well-known teachers come out and they have so much energy and they're like, we're going to do this. They're like Anthony Robbins when they teach a class, (laughs) you know? And I don't teach. I pe- I don't teach like that. People, but people say often, 
your voice is so soothing, right? When I teach someone, I'm like, well, that's who I am. I don't try to be this yoga person that I'm zen all the time. And I just, it's all about love and forgiveness. I'm not like, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> and if you do something that's not cool with me, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. If you don't respect my boundaries because I'm being nice, quote, then I'm going to let you know that wasn't cool. Yeah. It's, that's just me. Are you teaching a lot now? I I am. Like, I don't teach locally in Portland anymore because I, I was, I'm leaving too much to teach. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I've been doing at every, at all the events involve music, yoga, usually tea ceremony and or some sort of lecture or public speaking. So, you know, over the summer I did several events with REI. Um, I don't know if you know who REI mm -hmm. is, but they do women's events, um, outdoor events, hike, hiking, mountain biking, kayaking, stand up paddleboard and yoga and music. So I signed up, um, this is the second summer in a row that I've done events through them. Um, all the festivals and, and workshops I do, I travel to do. So there's, there's quite a lot of teaching, but it's also the other things too, which just really, it makes it even that much more rewarding for me to share because those are just things, like I said, that I sincerely love and do, and they just happen to all fit into this package of health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with, I'm curious, with this kind of new platform that you're taking with ritual and ceremony, there must be something in it for you that you know is allowing you to tap into something that maybe you, that maybe needs its own healing within you. You know, I'm always interested in the shadow part of ourselves too, like the part like, I know why I'm doing certain practices or why certain teachings are coming to me because they're the, they're the weak part within me. They're the part within me that like I deny, you know, as being there. And so of course I'm going to be attracted to things that are sort of healing something within me. Was there a correlation between your, your work with herbs now and the tea ceremonies that is for you um, for healing? No, it's, I've just, honestly, I was a weird kid. So I've always been into, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I've always been into, oh God, I was really weird. I was like doing fast in the Bible when I was 17. I was every, every type of fast, cause there's different fast in the Bible. So mm -hmm. I was doing all different types of fasts that were in the Bible to see how it worked with my body and trying different herbs and working with essential oils and plants. I was just always into that. And I'm so, I'm so grateful, um, that I don't have any health issues. Mm -hmm. I, I have over a hundred and probably 20 therapeutic grade essential oils. And I just have them in case I need them or in case somebody around me needs them, I can give them as an essential oil option. So I like knowing about them for myself because I love plants, because I love natural things. Um, tea ceremony is the same thing. I, I started doing tea ceremony when I started doing yoga, when I started doing meditation. And it's what a monk sat down with me and he poured me tea and then we meditated. And I did this you know, every week with him because I wanted to learn how to meditate. 
Uh, so I've been, I had been doing that since 1996 and it just led me on this path of where I was introduced to a tea teacher who eventually gave me permission to do tea ceremony, uh, which is something I, I wanted to do so badly, but I didn't because I didn't think I was qualified. And without me even asking, he said I should do it. Mm -hmm. And he gave me permission. Um, just, just always into plants and superfoods and herbs. Now, yoga is a different thing. Um, I started doing yoga because I was always curious about it, and I knew it had a spiritual quality to it. But, you know, it really helped to balance me out emotionally, and it continues to help to balance me out emotionally because I'm a very sensitive person by nature. I'm very intuitive. Uh, thank goodness I naturally have good boundaries that... I know how to not let certain energy into my field, but I started doing yoga and realized immediately that it it gave me endorphins. It made me feel better. And as a sensitive person and an artist, a creative person at the same time, I definitely in my younger years had a tendency to be a little bit, a little bit, I could get a little bit out of balance emotionally, you know, and, and be into sadness or isolation um, and have my, my energy lowered. And yoga has has just saved me. Yeah. You know, it's really kept me centered and grounded. And God, I'd hate to see what I was like if I wasn't doing yoga. So. <laughs> me too. Yes. All, all of us. Yes. All of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it sounds like now you have this very holistic practice between the tea ceremonies and yoga and meditation and music and all of the different ways that that's manifesting, mm -hmm. it seems like that's come together to be this very holistic spiritual practice for you. Yes, it's beautiful. It's um, I feel like I'm finally kind of getting it. Like, I, I really do. I'm like, ah, oh, I got this down. I got, I, I know what works for me and I know what helps me and I know when and how finally. And then I'm still growing. I think it's so difficult to not make compromises toward ourselves for many, many years until we know that we don't have to. I think those are very difficult things to untangle for ourselves and unpack to say, even though we know them like kind of at some core level, like what makes us feel good, how easily we can put off things that just feel right to us mm. for out of fear or out of what a, yeah yeah whatever whatever yeah that's 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 what we're conditioned mm -hmm. to to be and how to live uh unfortunate i am fortunate i didn't have a lot of that my parents supported everything i did obviously it's amazing you, know, you want to drop out of school okay <laughs> you want to you want to move to California and take the Mustang and the van. Okay. <laughs> so just one last question for you. Yeah, no problem. So the subtitle of the book of Living the Sutras is called A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat. And what we really want to do is is make that wisdom accessible and personal and really relevant and tangible to people. So what off-the-mat practice really helps you stay true to who you are, to really connect with the, the real BB, not the one with all the labels. Gosh. Ah, but it's, it, it seems like it's just a combination of things for me. And I think 
people really need to take some time to to sit with themselves and be with themselves and not allow all these distractions. It's so much easier to allow yourself to be distract distracted by doing this or doing that or having a bunch of people around you or TV or the phone. You know, it's healthy to spend time alone. It's healthy to spend time in nature. Meditation, you know, whatever you can do to be with yourself so you can figure out who you are and what you like and what you need. You have to listen. You can't always be talking or listening or in environments that are noisy. That's, that's the first thing. Um, and then from there, it's, you know, what works for you. Um, for some people, their meditation is, you know, trail running. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can tell you what works for me, but it can be different for different people. But it really just boils down to loving yourself. And I know that's so cliche and it's very difficult to do, but you have to, you have to care about yourself and, and not what everybody else thinks and what society says is the way to do it and what all these organizations the dogma that they create in the rules you have to make your own based on what makes you happy and make what makes you feel safe um it's it's really not about other people as long as you're not hurting people and you're not hurting yourself um you got to listen to yourself. You got to spend time with yourself. You got to love yourself and figure out what works for you. Hmm. And, and for, for me, it's yoga, it's meditation, it's being outside with nature, it's eating good food, it's having healthy boundaries that protect my energy and not let anything disturb my peace. That's your choice. We have a choice of if we're going to allow something to disturb our peace or our energy. And, um, that's, that's really all I could say. I think that's beautiful advice. Beautiful advice. Agreed. Baby, thank you so much. This was really wonderful. Thank you for listening to Living It. To find out about Bibi, where she's playing or teaching, visit bbmcgill.com. You can also find links to all of this, as well as more information about the resources we discussed in this episode in the show notes or at our website, livingitpodcast.com. And remember, Yoga Journal and the Live Be Yoga Tour are giving away a Hugger Mugger Para Rubber Yoga Mat and an Aim Health You Yoga Journal course. To enter, rate and review this podcast, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag us at Kelly Donardo at Amy Pierce Hayden and at Live Be Yoga. Thanks for listening.